If you're struggling to attract new staff or your team is experiencing burnout, pick up your phone and call Guardian Vets. Through virtual team solutions like after-hour triage, daytime virtual receptionists, callbacks, and telemedicine, Guardian Vets can help you have happy staff, happy clients, and a thriving business. Go to www.guardianvets.com and check Veterinary Success Podcast in the Where Did You Hear About Us section to get a free consultation and receive 50% off your first month of service. Don't wait. Check out GuardianVets.com now. Welcome to the Veterinary Success Podcast. First and foremost, Merry Christmas. So this is the Christmas episode release of the podcast. And we're going to jump into the interview with Stu here in a second. Before we do, we're going to hit our sponsors also, at the end, lots of new roles out there, um, great opportunities for ownership, great opportunities for associateships with high-quality practitioners. So stick around, check those out. Also, links in the show notes. But uh, we'll be right back. If you're struggling to attract new staff or your team is experiencing burnout, pick up your phone and call Guardian Vets. Through virtual team solutions like after-hour triage, daytime virtual receptionists, callbacks, and telemedicine, Guardian Vets can help you have happy staff, happy clients, and a thriving business. Go to www.guardianvets.com and check Veterinary Success Podcast in the Where Did You Hear About Us section to get a free consultation and receive 50% off your first month of service. Don't wait. Check out guardianvets.com now. You've heard me talk about the opportunity in urgent care. So VetCheck believes in the power of your capacity to influence your patients, patient families, and be a leader in your community. How they do this is by giving you the freedom to take ownership of your future to make the biggest impact in your patients' lives. They equip you with a turnkey opportunity to take action on the dream through a unique pathway to owning your own VetCheck Pet Urgent Care Center franchise. They provide a solution to remove obstacles like competing against corporate dollars in the community that you want to be in and having access to hospital ownership, medical directorship, and more. Also, you become a partner along the journey. A vet check pet urgent care center franchise is the answer. If you're interested, check out episode number 80, where I talked to Dr. Siva and he shares more about his story and the opportunity. So if this sounds like something that's interesting to you, reach out and learn how you can own your own vet check pet urgent care center franchise today by visiting vetcheckforpets.com, which again is vetcheckforpets.com. All right. I am joined by Stuart Sutphin of Open Door Financial Planning. Stu, as we like to call him, is a member of the Veterinary Financial Advisor Network, or VFAN. Stu is a certified financial planner and some interesting kind of specializations, areas that he likes to focus on, behavioral finance, kind of transition planning, career family planning, amongst other things. Stu, thank you for joining me today. Look forward to the, our conversation. Yeah, thanks for having me today. Awesome. So, Again, I do a little sleuthing before any guests come, and we've chatted a little bit before, so it helps, right? But I know you were kind of first interested in financial planning while at college at Virginia Tech. Was there anything specifically that either happened when you were younger, during school, that kind of prompted the interest? Where and why did kind of finances or financial planning come to something that maybe you thought, hey, I could do this for a career? Yeah, that's a fun question. Even since I was like five years old, I would get my Christmas money and I would have a little bank set up in my desk. And I was very intentional about spending it, whether it's on board games, video games, the things that are important when you're five years old. But over time, people started saying, well, you're really good with money and maybe you should look at that as a career. So that script stuck with me as I was leaving senior year of high school, going into school or college. 
Now, I started in corporate finance and financial accounting, but I realized that was not at all for me. I did not care for that culture. I'm more of a people person. I like seeing individually one-on-one people grow and being a part of that growth. So it all started back in the day, saving money in my little piggy bank and my desk drawer to where we are now, which is helping people manage their financial picture, whatever that may look like. Sure. So small tangent, which I do from time to time, board games. I enjoy board games. By no means am I some connoisseur of games, but there was some podcast interview recently where someone was doing professional playing. He mentioned a game that I never heard of and now I'm really interested, but I wanted to ask favorite board game or a board game that is a current favorite at the moment. It's always hard to pick a favorite. Top three. (laughs) Just give, give me a couple. All right, then. Let's see. There's Betrayal of the Haunted House in the Hill. Might get the title slightly wrong there, but that's a fun one. Secret Hitler is a great one. And even a classic like Domino's, that's always fun for people to get together and have some fun with it. Yeah, I know one of those three. So Domino's, thank you for helping with that one. The other ones I'm like, hmm, the, what'd you say, Hunting Hitler? Secret Hitler. Secret Hitler. Okay. Hunting Hitler, I think is a documentary. Big World War II <laughs> fan, like history. So that one kind of piques my interest. So for those listening, they're going to wonder, okay, so you like the ability, financial planning, that makes sense. So then why become a weird person similar to Isaiah and others within VFAN and narrow that focus on veterinary medicine? Well, my beard isn't quite at your standard yet, but I'll get there one of these days. But aside from that, I was one of the crazy ones who decided to get married to a veterinarian. And after being with her all these years, I'm actually able to go with her on emergency calls after hours because she's a small general practice vet in the middle of the country. So not as many support people to work after hours on an official capacity. So going with her, working side by side, actually getting my hands bloody, so to speak, helping her with late night C-sections and other surgeries, I understand just how much passion and heart goes into their profession as veterinarians. And after, well, clearly I got married to one, I have a lot of respect for the profession at a personal level, but I wanted to see if there's some way I could take the gifts that I've been given with my ability to manage finances and apply that to the veterinary space to make their lives even better. Yeah, love that. And then where in the country are you now? Are you still? Southern Virginia. It's near a small city called Danville. I'm actually in the town of Chatham. But if you need a bigger reference, it's about an hour south of Lynchburg, where Liberty University is located. So GP, after hours, on call, dealing with that, seeing that, makes sense, more from a rural perspective. How does your wife like veterinary medicine? Because I know that's obviously a tricky question. Some people understand there's certainly a toll that it takes, but they love it. They would never change. Others are like, oh my gosh, if I could switch, I would. Where does she fall in that spectrum of, I love my job. I can't believe I get to do this to, I'm feeling frustrated and tired of what I'm doing. Yeah, thankfully she's with a great team. Both of her bosses are fantastic people and they don't overextend or overexert their employees. So she goes to work. She has a great team. People get along. She loves going day to day. When she goes to a continuing education event, it's not like, oh, got to go do this to keep my license. It's she's like, oh, great. What can I learn here? What's something new I can bring back to the clinic to help my patients? Yeah, love that. And bravo. I don't know if her bosses listen, but always good to give them a little kudos, right? (laughs) I had a guest that he's in a VMG group. He's like, oh, they'll never listen. And he's like, yeah. So they contacted me two days after and he didn't say anything bad. Right. But he's like, yeah, they listened. Someone pinged me that I was on. I was like, oh, that's really cool. Anyways, behavioral finance. I want to talk about this because I think this is such an interesting topic. And so for someone that is new to this or in very layman terms, behavioral finance, how would you describe it? 
let's kind of lay the baseline of what behavioral finance is, and then we'll kind of go from there. At a base level, it's almost like if you touch a hot pan with your fingers and it burns and you jerk your hand away without thinking about it, that's something we call in the finance world a money script. So there's something in your past that's created an automatic response system in your head that when a decision that involves money comes up, you do it half the time without even thinking about it, whether it's a positive habit or something negative that might cause a lot of credit card debt or something, a less desirable outcome. Sure. So it's kind of like a learned behavior. So basically, do you think that it's something that is typically just learned from parents or grandparents or whoever's kind of around when we were raised? We just kind of absorb a lot of their kind of tendencies because, again, we don't get to choose like, oh, I'll get parents with good financial skills or bad financial skills and see which one is better. And I'll pick and choose the good things of, of both. Yeah, money scripts can come from either good examples or poor examples, I think. For example, let's say my grandmother, for example. She passed away a good while ago, but when she actually went through the Great Depression era, so she didn't have a lot of trust in the system. As a result, when she did pass away, they found, I think, almost $40,000 in cash stuffed under the mattress and the floorboards and the closet. It just blew my mind because in modern context, that's just odd, right? It's not something I grew up with. But for my own parents who grew up with their parents from that era, I find their trust in the system is a little bit more jaded investing money, having that faith that's going to grow over time and the government's not going to take it away from them, that's a little bit harder for them to comprehend just based on what they grew up with. So I would say it's a learned behavior, but it's almost more of a habit that's formed. Whether they realize what kind of habit it is, it's something they do without thinking about it. Yeah. There's a ton of truth to yeah, the generation of what they experienced, what they saw happen, and then how they react to that. And it's interesting because are you familiar with the idea of the fourth turning? Have you ever heard of that term before? No, I haven't. Could you elaborate on that? Yeah. So the fourth turning is this idea that was a book written in the early 90s. So mid 90s, I guess it was like 94, 95, 96. And it basically foreshadowed this idea of, hey, every fourth generation, the big institutions or things that trust in the system, right? Then that's what made me think of it. The trust in the system kind of breaks and then it resets and then it kind of builds on that again. And so you kind of look back every generation, every fourth turning, every fourth generation, it kind of switches. And there's way more detail I'm going to miss. But if you go back, like World War II was kind of one of those big fundamental, big shifts and changes of how the world and how life was structured. And if you go beyond that, another fourth generation was the Civil War. And there's all these different historical things and they put it together. And then basically when they foreshadowed and looked forward, they kind of talked about like the financial system and different things. So you had the great financial crisis happen. We've had COVID. We've had all these different big changes to the way that we look at the world and where things are. And so there's this idea that coming between now and I think 2030 would basically be kind of the setting up of whatever will happen over the next 80 to hundred years hmm. is the idea. It's a really interesting book. There's been a lot of good podcasts that have been done on it. I came from it from a Bitcoin reference. So there's a guy named Brandon Quittam who wrote a big piece on it. It was really long and I ended up listening to it in audible format because I didn't have the time to sit, but I could, when I was driving, <laughs> listen to it and it was really good, but it kind of walked through and explained it from a lens of how someone would look at it in like 2021. So I'll send you the piece from Brandon because I think it's really well done. Yeah, please do. But just the trust in the system and how people rotate and adjust and think through things of why they would hold $40,000 in a coffee can or floorboards or in the walls, it kind of changes things. Speaking of content, speaking of podcasts, books, blogs, anything like that. Is there any either writers or pieces or podcasts or people when it comes to behavioral finance that you've 
followed, you've consumed their content and you're like, wow, this is really good. And this has helped kind of shape the way that I think of, of that space. It's always a hard one to answer because there's not one central source for me. For example, I've had a great mentor through my own personal growth. And while it's more spiritually focused, it focuses a lot on what drives us as people from a values perspective. And I think taking the lessons I've learned from that, talking with other people, I do a lot of crowdsourcing. So if I have a new idea, I'll ask 20 different people to get their opinions. I find using leveraging my community and reaching out to the people I know provides a lot of context and information about how different people can broach the same topic. As far as a specific topic, I personally do a lot of meditation. I think that's great mentally. It helps create a good frame of mind and peace of spirit. Joy on Demand is a fantastic one. He basically talks about what is it in life that makes us happy and then how we can access that happiness. Because I think money and happiness can go hand in hand quite a bit. Because if your money's great, that's one less stressor. Maybe not necessarily happy, but if your money's not good, you're more than likely not happy. You're feeling stress. And for example, he breaks out the concept of luck, like we talk about the lottery. But his idea of luck is broken into three pieces. You have basically your genetics or your circumstances where what is, is, and that's out of your control. But then the other third is being able to spot opportunity when it presents itself. But the last third, actually being able to pursue that opportunity. So the way he frames it is the majority of luck is built up by our own decisions and our own ability to spot opportunity. Yeah, I think there's a quote, the harder I work, the luckier I get, which I think mm. speaks to that in a way that to some people might be condescending, but it's like, if you put yourself in situations, those opportunities will present themselves. And then can you be ready to say yes or move forward? And so going back to finances, right? You have your house in order. Maybe there's a really great opportunity, but it's going to require you to take a step back. And if you're paycheck to paycheck, you might not be able to do that, right? True. But if you're able to say, you know what, I could take a reduction in pay because it's going to help springboard me into this other opportunity but it's a really brief period. Some people might not be able to do that. Yeah, that's really interesting. So circumstances, spot opportunities, and then pursue it. Exactly. Perfect. Yeah. The other thing, have you ever read or looked at either Dr. Daniel Crosby? He does some work in the behavioral financial space or Morgan Housel does a lot of different writing as well. Those are two, I think in that behavioral lens has been really interesting in content that I've consumed over the years, it's been less, I would say recently, but I think Dr. Daniel Crosby, the behavioral investor, I did a post for our firm. It was like, you know, the top three books that have changed, you know, different things. That was one of the ones I would recommend because I think it's approachable for anyone. And you don't have to be like an investment guru or really interested in the nitty gritty, but he just takes all these examples of people and situations and why these things work and makes it very approachable and fun to read and consume, at least fun for me. Other people might be like, hey, that seems horrible, but his writing style is very approachable. And he was a psychologist that his dad was a financial advisor. And he started <laughs> doing the lay down and tell me about your childhood. And he's like, I couldn't do it. This wasn't what I wanted to do. And so he kind of tried to take some of what he learned and then apply it to the way that, that people look at money because it is so emotional. And I think that is really, really interesting. So yeah, behavioral finance is a huge, hard to kind of put your arms around what exactly it is. So I think everyone approaches it a little differently. Oh, 100%. want to try out the book you're talking about. This one's like a lot of fun. Yeah, it's a good read and it's a pretty quick read. And he has a podcast too, and I'm spacing on the name of it. I've listened to a handful of episodes. I don't listen to it all the time, but there's been some guests that I've either known that have been on there and I just wanted to kind of tune in to listen. 
when you think about just financial planning in general, if someone asks you, hey, Stu, what do you do? How do you answer that question? Because I think in the United States, right, and I think this is not the way that we should look at it, but whatever you do for a living, we automatically kind of put those people in those boxes of like, oh, you're this type of person because they met maybe one other person that's called themselves a financial advisor and that's instantly the same way that now you are, right? How do you answer that question? Well, I always chuckle when someone tells me to give them the elevator pitch of what I do. Because if I could explain what I do in 20 or 30 seconds, then I'm not doing it right. That's all I got to say. <laughs> There's yeah. so much that goes into it. So I try to convey at a high level that financial planning isn't just investments. It's almost anything that money touches. Think of me as your financial shoulder angel. You make a financial decision. Maybe Stu's voice is going, hey, you know, do you really need this $10 latte when your credit card has got a revolving balance? Probably not. There might be some alternative ways to mitigate that. So I try to tell people to think of me as a guide on their path to financial freedom. Yeah, I like that. The little angel. And it's not necessarily <laughs> that Stu's there yelling, you don't do this. It's like, hey, maybe there's a better solution. Maybe look over here. Look at this. Well, two shoulders, there <laughs> like are two that. angels, a good and a bad. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's Stu's. Don't do that. I try to be the good one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was going to say, I actually wanted to ask a little bit about investing and thinking through that a little bit, how veterinarians should think about it, because I think the investing piece is what so many people assume, hey, financial advisor, so, so Stu, you and Isaiah must just look at stocks all day, right? You got eight monitors and you're there doing stuff all day. It's like, oh yeah, that's not, <laughs> that's <laughs> not, not at it all. at all. When you think about it, <laughs> investing, and if someone asks as a veterinarian, should they think about investing? Is it any different? Do you think about investing as just like the traditional markets? Do you think about it investing themselves for like CE or training or stuff like that? But how do you talk about investing with folks? A lot of it's driven by what they're trying to accomplish because it's no secret that veterinarians typically have a lot of student debt. And if you're pursuing a route of repayment that focuses on forgiveness, there's going to be a tax bill at some point. So that's one thing to look at the future to plan for. Or maybe you're going to look at buying a practice or maybe you want to start up your own mobile vet clinic. And each of those has timelines and different ways to approach it. So a lot of it is driven by your goals and what you're trying to accomplish. As far as philosophy, I still think the markets work. I do a lot more with the index, but like smart index investing. I don't think we as people can consistently beat the markets. And if you do, it's more a result of luck and happenstance than it is something of skill. Now, skill can get you ballpark and it can definitely get you better results, but I don't think we can consistently beat the markets. So when I have people invest, I find low cost ETFs and mutual funds typically that are focused on a long-term portfolio and growth. Now, you're the Bitcoin and cryptocurrency guru, so I'm not going to even touch that because that's something that I... Well, I, I was going to... No, no, no. I was going to ask. You knew where I was, eventually was going to ask because I've asked this to everyone else. I've asked it to Dan. I've asked it to Ashley. I've asked it to Andrew as well. I'm always like, so what do you think? When people bring it up, again, the qualifier. So anyone that's listening, right? They've probably heard me say it's Bitcoin, not crypto. I always try to separate the two because I look at Bitcoin as an asset, as something that's completely uniquely different, very bullish, right? That's kind of the financial term. You think good things about it. Very intrigued, very strong opinions on Bitcoin being a positive thing versus crypto being, I think it's a VC style investment. Most go to zero. I think a lot of rug pulls and scams and bad actors in the space, which has proven to be fairly true into 2022 as I think the founder of FTX was arrested yesterday when we're recording this. So wow. um, he was finally, finally indicted. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, there's a lot of snake oil salesmen and some bad stuff that's happened in that space. And I think so many times it gets conflated with each other when it's different. But 
anyways, I would love to hear your thoughts. Again, this is not asking you to agree with me at all, but how do you view it? And is it something you're like, I have an opinion. I don't really have much of an opinion. What do you think about Bitcoin and crypto just overall? I think for older clients, and then when I say older, it's those who are closer to retirement looking for a stable source of income or stable portfolio as they're entering a stage of life with no paycheck. It's something I don't necessarily recommend for them because I think crypto has potential just because of its high volatility and the unknowns. That means there's a lot of chance of upside and reward. But for somebody who's retiring, that might add a little bit more risk than, than may be appropriate, depending on their assets and what they have, of course. For the younger generations, I certainly think it's worth putting a little bit of money into it, if nothing else, just because it does have that potential. And it's better to be positioned for profit than to not. But from my own personal levels of understanding of what crypto and Bitcoin are, I don't feel comfortable enough being a guide for people who are seeking those kinds of solutions. I would love to learn more about them. I just haven't found a good mentor or a way to learn about it quite yet. Oh, I got you covered. Don't <laughs> worry. I got you. I got an email already written. No, I'm just kidding. But seriously, an open invitation that we can chat on that with questions. And again, for me, it's I've learned from a lot of other people that are a heck of a lot smarter than me. And then it's trying to kind of take in the content and then figure out what do you actually believe from it. So, but yeah, we can chat more. Yeah, I'd love to learn that more about as well. that. But I think your approach to it is one of being more humble, where a lot of times I see our peers sometimes have a very strong opinion, but I haven't really done any work and they'll negative, negative, negative. And I'm like, but like what you're saying doesn't really conflate with you knowing much. And I know that you don't know based on what you're saying. And it's just makes it really hard to have any kind of constructive conversation. And yeah, it's a lot of people in 2022 are like, oh my gosh, look how smart <laughs> I was because I told you since 2016 not to touch this, right? Mm -hmm. This has been bad. And it's like, how long do you get to keep reviving this narrative when it's very obvious that you've been wrong for a long time? But anyways, <laughs> with that, I love the question of what's a non-consensus view that you may hold that other financial planners, advisors, whatever term you want to throw out there might not agree with. So the reason I ask this is Bitcoin is kind of mine personally, but is there anything from your perspective that you think of that might be considered non-consensus or a different view on things? If anything, I think it'd be focused on when we help clients, there's in some ways you could call it best practice. So for one direction, we have best practice, which is based on industry standards that we've been taught, rules of thumb, things the regulators look at and they say, okay, that makes sense. That's the right thing to do. And then there's the other approach, which while it may be best practice to do certain things one way, if the client's trying to achieve a goal or has a certain lifestyle they're trying to accomplish, that may be best for them, but may not necessarily be best practice. I think it's my duty to help guide them where they want to go to the best of my abilities. Now, if they're about to jump off a cliff, metaphorically speaking, I'm going to step in and say, hey, if you're going to keep walking, you may jump off that cliff and that's your choice. I'm here to help you as much as I can. But I have no trouble veering off the traditional path if I think it's what the client needs at an emotional level from driven by their personal values and per perspective. Yeah, no, I think that makes total sense. What's a topic that you're either excited about that's been kind of on your mind or on your heart lately that is kind of tied into the financial planning or the work that you do with clients? I'm not sure there is anything specifically that's coming to mind right now. Is there anything that you're excited about? And it doesn't necessarily have to even be work related. And maybe that's a direction to take the question as well. Just in general? Just in general. As you look into 2023. Well, I'm really big on community and 
I got married to my veterinarian wife just a couple months ago. So <laughs> that involves congrats. Thank you. But I was living in the DC metro area, specifically in Reston. But now I'm four and a half hours back south in more rural Virginia. But that also involves rebuilding social ties and community. So I learned a lot of really cool stuff. I do sword fighting as a hobby. They're actually steel blades, they're blunted. You do real sword fighting, you have to wear padding, of course, so you don't break any bones. But that's a really cool hobby that just doesn't exist here. And I think bringing some of that culture into maybe a little bit more of a rural closed-minded mindset and expanding their knowledge and view of the world, I think that's pretty amazing. And as this place grows, and like we're getting a casino here, right? When I was young, not that long ago, you couldn't even buy alcohol on Sundays. And now they're getting a casino, which is going to be open seven days a week. That's just kind of unheard of from this area, in all honesty. So as the culture here is changing, I'm looking forward to adding in some new elements that can help that culture change in a positive way. I think the idea of community, going back to this idea of the fourth turning, right? Technology has made a lot of people more independent where they want to be more isolated at times. And there was a message at church, it might've been last Sunday, where they talked about the amount of time that people spend alone, whether it's a streaming service, whether it's whatever, right? Entertainment, where they're not going out and not spending time in community has gone up. The figure was staggering from, I think it was even 2015. So it was pre-pandemic, but then you accelerate that after 2020. This idea of community is what I think is going to be the most important thing moving forward. And you can look at community in a couple of different ways. You can say, hey, those within my profession and social media can be a really nasty thing at times, but it can also be really uplifting and really great for connection to build relationships, to foster those. So, hey, you go to VMX or WVC and you can see your friends. You can see some people you've connected with that you've never met in person. That's awesome. But also in your local community, it can be, how do you make friends when you're an adult, right? Like, <laughs> I think that is a great question that I often ask myself. And it's like, we have to find things that are interesting that you're passionate about. And then how do you work on your local level to help shape the world that you want to see versus just gripe that XYZ isn't happening, this politician, this whatever, this or that. That's usually not a very constructive use of time. And I'm guilty of it, full disclosure, as most people probably are. But it's like you can complain or you can work on building community, building the world that you want to live in. And I think that is much more constructive. So I love that idea of community. And so how do you, I don't know, do you have any other thoughts on community and just the way that you've tried to be maybe more intentional at seeking out to say, hey, I'm going to open up and put myself in a vulnerable spot, or maybe I'm not super comfortable <laughs> in this area, but I'm going to go out and meet people and say, hey, I'm Stu, who are you? And I want to get you to know you on a human level. A lot of my drive for building community, being the person who starts it and encourages other people to do it themselves. I joined a Bible study group at my church in Northern Virginia. And in a lot of ways, they became closer to me than my blood relatives. They became my family. And during COVID, through all the changes and even the small things that come up, having those people to communicate with and share both the good times and some of the pain, it makes living so much more enjoyable and purposeful. Have you made a great point? People are, I find, are much more prone to complaining about a lack of community than being more of a doer and creating it. So one of my goals is to try to be that doer, to be, use the word role model, it doesn't sound quite right, but be an instigator of that positive change, to give people motivation and a way to come together to build that community. If nothing else, be the source that creates 
the community so that they can then learn from that community and take it to other people and spread the positivity around the ripple effect. Totally. And I think one cool thing about being an advisor in general is being a connector of people, right? There's lots of good people and sometimes they might not have the same network or connection to other people where I think we are in an interesting spot just from what we do from a day-to-day perspective of knowing a lot of different stuff about people in different areas and what they're doing. And maybe it's a connection of two people that would never meet outside of knowing you or I. And that always is so much fun to connect good people to other good people and see where it can go. So yeah, being the instigator, it's like the idea of, you talked about role model. It's like when you label yourself a guru, it's like, <laughs> that sounds really cringy. And <laughs> I don't think you can be self-proclaimed guru. It's like, eh, maybe it's know, a joke. Uh, it seems a little weird. <laughs> Yeah. People will talk about, oh, they're the expert on this. That's fine. But if you're going to self-label yourself that, it's a little hard for me to get my mind around. (laughs) What haven't I asked about that you feel like is worth bringing up and discussing when it comes to veterinarians, finances, student loans, family, community, any of that stuff? The more I get into the veterinary community and learn about what the lifestyle is for the community as a whole, beyond just my wife, I'm finding there's a lot of burnout, stress, and some discontentment even, especially maybe for a new graduate who's starting their job and either through a non-compete or taking a lower salary, are worried about getting that first job because there's a lot of debt and a lot of responsibility they're trying to focus on and get on top of, which may lead to agreeing to contracts that may be less than optimal. So I would definitely encourage people to be a little bit more, I won't say aggressive, but more aware that they have value and to own that value and to not sell themselves short of what they can accomplish. Yeah, I think that's excellent advice. And yeah, there is, I mean, they talk about the veterinary shortage and there's a lot of demand for doctors that can do great work. And it's like, don't jump at the first offer that's there. There's going to be others, but at the same time, don't abuse the situation and treat people like crap. Oh, yeah. and- ghost them or don't call them back because the industry is small and that might come back to haunt you Communication um, from that standpoint. Yeah. So just be honest and open. And at the end of the day, if being honest and open for some reason gives you less than an optimal situation, you can't let that then change the way that you approach. Okay. Maybe there was some bad situation and someone took advantage of you because you were honest and open. I think I would take that and own it and not be upset about that at the end of the day and just clear expectations, what you're looking for. And I think let chips fall where they may, and you'll probably be in a great spot. Well, hey, I mean, pain is the instigator of growth. Maybe that negative experience that you're dreading is going to make you a better person and even better veterinarian as a result of it. It's true to that. I think humans try to optimize in general to avoid pain, right? We don't want pain. <laughs> well, we want natural. easy. Where's the easy button? Yeah. The, the staples easy button. Where's the easy button for everything? And that has caused so many moments of pain and amplified that, which is unfortunate. When you think about content or different things, because you have a handful of different stuff on your blog, content, can you let people know that are listening, A, how to reach you, what it looks like, what services do you offer, and then next steps they want to connect and chat? Yeah, we can best be reached at our website, which is www.opendoorsfp.com. We have a get in touch button on the top right of the screen. It has a number you can call or text it or fill out the contact form. And as far as what we can offer, we love helping people who are maybe fresh out of school, just not necessarily looking for a full financial plan, but maybe a coach in their corner to get through some of those obstacles of applying for your first job, structuring your budget, some of the adulting things, so to speak, that you got to go through. We definitely offer some services on that. And then your more traditional financial planning and investment management as well. 
Perfect. Appreciate the time. Glad we were able to get this done. I know we talked about it for a little while and appreciate you making an effort in this space because that was one of the things that struck me when I kind of looked out in 2018. There just wasn't a whole lot of people that I think cared about veterinary medicine that wanted to see it improve and genuinely give good advice and guidance and come alongside someone and say, hey, here are ways to improve versus saying, come back when you have all the money in the world and we can help you invest it. 100%. So for that, I'm appreciative of it. And yeah, just thank you for the time today. It's great to connect. Yeah. Thanks, man. Appreciate talking today. And yeah, I'd love to hear more about crypto at some point. <laughs> yeah, it's on the agenda. We will make it all right. happen. All the best. All right. So there are a lot of new job postings. I'm going to read through these. Again, please let me know if you reach out, connect with anyone, and this becomes a full-time or part-time opportunity for anybody. So the first one is a Central Indiana private practice equine or companion health practitioner, Janison Veterinary Clinic. So JVC is a six-doctor, team-oriented, AHA accredited hospital with a focus on progressive veterinary medicine, quality patient care, and excellent client relations. Four-day work week with rotating Saturdays, dedicated assistant or licensed veterinary technician, Compensation is a base and bonus structure. Lots of benefits, too many for me to list. Bayside Hospital for Animals. Great work-life balance in beautiful Fort Walton Beach, Florida. Minutes away from the beach. Who doesn't love that? No weekends, Monday to Friday, 8 to 5. No on-call or emergencies. Currently a two-and-a-half doctor. Non-corporate, small animal practice. Uh, lots of growth in that area. Associate position, happy to offer mentorship for new grads. ProSal uh, with lots of benefits, too many for me to list as well. Point Grey Veterinary Hospital in Vancouver, beautiful British Columbia, Canada. Associate Veterinarian with ownership opportunities for the right person, privately owned, fear-free certified, and they are one of three in the lower mainland. No catches, no hidden terms, no negative accrual, no non-compete, fully transparent. Be part of an inclusive team, a company you have a voice in, salary up to 170, including a 22 to 25% commission, visa sponsorship considered. Newport Veterinary Hospital, Newport Vermont, growing, thriving, rural, small animal practice with a touch of daytime urgent care on the uh, Vermont-Quebec border, seeking the right veterinarian to enjoy the team, full-time preferred, but part-time considered as well, privately owned, value the staff and doctors equally with clients and patients, core values are integrity, motivation, empowerment, cleanliness, education, and compassion. If you love the outdoors, Vermont's hard to beat, list a ton of stuff for you to do there, um, and on compensation. Basically, it's bottom line. You can write your own ticket within the boundaries of production. The goal is the forward-thinking owner is reasonable, would love to chat, and build something that fits for you. And so there are open discussions there on that front. Associate veterinarian, part-time or full-time, Fulton County Veterinary Clinic uh, in Indiana. Uh, are you looking for an oasis in the chaos? Do you want to be valued for your individuality and ingenuity? They offer and strive to foster a fun, fast-paced work environment while providing quality patient care, utilize support staff effectively so that the doctor is available to do more medicine and less time doing paperwork. No emergency on call, no after hours, no weekend work will ever be required. Um, flexible scheduling, competitive salary between 100 and 150,000. Signing bonus benefits, uh, too many to include, but one interesting one there as well is a mental health sabbatical. So those are all the offerings. I'm sure there will be more at some point. I'm going to have to say I can't read all of them, but uh, if you have one, keep them coming. And I hope that is helpful. Thanks for listening to today's show. The comments made on today's show should not be taken as investment, tax, or legal advice.
All comments are for educational purposes only. You should consult your team before implementing anything. Isaiah Douglas is a partner of Vincere Wealth Management. Isaiah is registered in the state of Indiana, California, Texas. The biggest compliment you can give to this podcast is to share it with a friend. Reviews help the show get found, and Apple Podcasts is the platform that predominantly is how people listen to the show. If you have three to five minutes, you like the show, please head over to Apple Podcasts, give us an honest rating and review. That'll help more people find the show. For all of today's links and information, head over to veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. There you can subscribe via your favorite podcast platform so you won't miss another episode. Finally, if you'd like more information, insights, and have the ability for your voice to be heard and interact with show guests, join the private Facebook group. You can go to the Veterinary Success Podcast on Facebook or head over to the veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. Scroll all the way to the bottom where it says about your host and then click on the Facebook icon. That'll bring you into the Facebook group. I'll approve you. You'll be in. And then I'd love to hear your questions, feedback, and anything that you'd like to see added to the show. So with all that, thank you so much for listening. I'll be talking again to you soon.